0: Hello and welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast, my name is Joel Sked and I'm joined by a couple of number crunchers today. Hello Craig Anderson. How you doing? And hello Tom Watt. Hello. How are you this evening?
1: Not bad at all, thank you very much, how are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: all right enough of the pleasantries it's the same for
2: everybody right you've just got nothing to say
0: no exactly was it, been anywhere nice recently no no I was having that chat with someone uh, uh someone yesterday and it was a case of was like when when you meet up with people or sort of speak to people what do you say <laughs> Yeah, I I talked to I talked
1: face to face with another human about football for the first time in two and a half months on Saturday. It's not this about as exciting as this week, has It's
2: uh... we had the same thing. We met met my wife's brother and, and his girlfriend on Saturday, and it was we were you know you catch up for the kind of basic stuff, and then you're sitting down. And we went to a park, and we were sitting down, and then you're like, okay, we've got absolutely no nothing to share with each other. You know, we, we saw him. <laughs> we saw them last just before lockdown started and and would you believe it
0: nothing has changed but there's also the there's also the aspect of doing uh, zoom meetings or calls or quizzes and then you're always on like whatsapp as well so when something does happen you you, you find out about it it's just it's, it's a bit um it's a bit strange. But anyway, let's 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 move on to the podcast and we are gonna be covering a few topics on this show. Streaming behind closed doors, coke teams, the latest Scotland match, and maybe, just maybe, talking about Craig Levine and his interview on the BBC. But let's see how we get on before we go into that. So we're gonna start by discussing clubs streaming behind closed door games, which are all but a certainty come the twenty. 2021 season especially the, the premiership which the SBFL hope to kick off in August. So what do we expect? What would we like to see? What would we definitely not like to see uh, when it comes to streaming? I'll,
2: I'll jump in on what I would definitely not like to see which is a uh, crowd noise being pumped in
0: oh
1: yeah
2: I, I, the, the first time I um, I was watching um, what was it Bundesliga game in the evening on Dortmund game against Hertha on Sunday night Saturday afternoon sorry and I was looking at Twitter and people were kind of going on about the crowd noise and I was very confused because I, I, I wasn't getting it because I was on I was watching on BT Sport Ultimate but apparently on BT Sport 1 when I put it over they were pumping in the crowd noise there it's just weird I just I don't think you should be pretending that things are happening that aren't happening. I can understand that the atmosphere is a bit weird without noise and, you know, and you can hear the players and all that and maybe they'll be uncomfortable about hearing the players given what some of them in Scotland might be shouting. Mm-hmm. But um, I just think kind of pretending that fans are there is just not the option, not the not the solution to it's that. It's almost like you're at taking the, taking the piss least, out of fans
0: watching.
2: The, yeah. At the very least, if they do it, there needs to be an option not to listen to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because you you do it and it's just like uh, uh, almost uh, two fingers up to fans like, hey, this is, uh, you could be here, but instead we're uh, (laughs) making it artificial. (laughs) The only only aspect of it I would would fully endorse is if, I think maybe Duncan mentioned it on the WhatsApp chat when we were talking about it, it was like the voting or some sort of vote to have uh, songs played. Uh, like or, or chants and it was just just a thought of <laughs> just a lull in the game where there's like there's no noise and then just suddenly uh, I'm trying to think of a, a song that's not hearts, but it's, it's just like, suddenly the heart song just starts booming across the uh, tannoy I think I was,
1: just something like you don't know what you're doing oh <laughs> yeah yeah something
0: like that or like the cheat chant
1: <laughs> yeah, just random chants that are are used in like FIFA soccer or something like that being being pumped in at, at opportune moments. But, that, yeah, that's why can...
2: when I switched over in that Bundesliga game, is um, my PS two at one point like when that would have been years ago, it kind of reached the end of its uh, of its usable life, and occasionally in the middle of a game on FIFA, basically um, everything would stop working, but the chants would keep going. And so you'd just be hearing these chants that bear no bore no relevance to what was happening on the pitch, and that's exactly what this reminded me of because it wasn't in any way, to me at least, like natural for a football game. And and if they can't get that working right in the Bundesliga, then then God knows what would be happening. It's when kind of, the are running it, this stream.
1: It's kind of like a a sort of sport laughter track, like that. It remind if you if you're relying on that, if you're relying on that for the atmosphere for the gag. Then it's all <laughs> falling apart, and I think I, I think to sort of flip it, I think what we've got to look at is what advantages can we have from streaming every game or, or, or from from streaming matches that you wouldn't have from regular TV or you wouldn't have from from being there in person. And there's obviously not a huge amount of advantages, but there, it does mean that we it does open up to um more graphics, more integration with, with, you know, maybe we can do something with social networks so that people can watch in groups. Um, the, 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 the I think that, I mean, certainly the way that I've been watching football since um, games have been coming back and and there hasn't been fan noise. I've, I've kind of had music on or I've almost had it as the second thing that I'm doing. Like I'm still paying attention. I'm still watching it. But having some, some element where there's a... a back and forth i don't want to get to marketing bullshit but like second screen so you're you're watching you're following things on twitter or you're following things on an app or something like that whilst also watching the game and getting um getting something from that and and i think though that's where there are an there is an advantage on on streaming um to do more with it so I, th- I think there's two there's two big advantages. One is there's a, a possibility of doing more with the actual experience and the, the what fans can get out of it as it's happening, whether that's in um, something on an app or, or additional information, some additional experience to it. The second is this is an experiment. Treat it like an experiment. Let's make sure that whatever let like, try stuff, and if it doesn't work, fine. Like we might never ever have the opportunity to try it again. This whole thing is an experiment. This whole thing is not ideal, but let let's give it a go. Get make sure that we're getting information about how long people are watching for, uh, where they're watching. Did they watch the game all the way through? Did they tune out at any point? Did they come? You know, do, have they arrived from a website? Build up build up audience data around it, but, and, and get get something out of it that we wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And if we treat the whole thing as an experiment, then even if every idea that we come up with is terrible, at least we'll know for again that, that these are not the way to go.
0: Yeah, the big, big thing on, on the marketing side of things is that when you think of it as a football fan going to the game, you are there for just usually 90 minutes. and Your focus is either on your friends or speaking to your friends, your family, or the game and The game in front of you. With it being on a stream, obviously there's a potential for you to be watching with friends or family, but there's a chance for clubs to direct stuff right in front of your eyes that they've never had the chance to do before. So again, they are needing money. Oh, there's a pop-up of the new uh, club shirt or there's uh, advertising of different events potentially coming up when restrictions are lifted or even just tickets or just just hunting stuff or uh, pushing out pushing out things the club do and making fans aware of it.
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's two sides to that as well. I think that there's definitely an opportunity for the sort of commercial sponsorship, um, whether it's selling an element of what a sponsor does or, or or finding additional sponsors. There's also like the community side of it. Like people who normally buy an advertising hoarding for a couple of hundred pounds a month or whatever it is, or are a local business that supplies the pies bringing all that stuff forward and actually packaging it up as these are all the people that make this club run and actually getting that in front of people's eyeballs i think is kind of important as well
2: you've just made me think of something if uh, i'm thinking specifically of kelly since we're literally going to be sponsored by our pie makers um get get the pies delivered to people at halftime if there was a way to do something like that um you know you're at, at, the, at kick-off, tell us what you want and it'll arrive to your door at half-time. I don't know how. I mean, it's not going to arrive at my door up in Glasgow, but um, for some people who live near the stadium and stuff, that might be that might be something that's feasible. And stuff like you mentioned commercial, like if you've got the half-time draw that, that most clubs will do, um, there must be a way to kind of, you know, make that more more interactive and playable almost as yeah. you go along.
0: Mm-hmm. The Go on, just touching on what you said about the pies, that's something I asked. Because I had to write an article uh, yesterday, just kind of spitballing ideas of what clubs could do to make it more immersive experience or make it more fun for fans watching. And I touched uh, base with Jordan and, um, Jordan and Ian and Andy, the guys at Studio Something, the guys behind uh, A View from the Terrace uh, Show. They're very creative. They're very innovative. And that's one thing they said was the if clubs could do it, to, almost to help boost the local economy as well. Uh, if they can do tie-ins with local shops or uh, like like bakers and stuff, and you can get your you can get you still get your pie, you can still do it. Obviously, that's a lot of investment. That's that's. I'm I'm not really uh, not much of an ideas man. So I don't know I don't know what their processes are behind that. But that something like that is that's pretty. That would be pretty nifty. I think there's
1: do- it will be really interesting to see if there are opportunities to really like the the sort the daftest ideas that you can think of and then rein them into some form of you know something realistic like if if we are not allowed to watch games if we're not allowed to play games effectively in front of fans does that mean that i don't know does that mean that we could theoretically play Ross County against Hamilton somewhere in Fort William with Ben Nevis in the background and you have it sponsored by Visit Scotland like there are football pitches there doesn't mean we could play like the the first Dundee United St Johnston game on the banks of the Tay somewhere looking beautiful in sunshine and how ha- like, the, these are very far out ideas and, and there have to be lots of logistics behind them but if we are taking it out of effectively we're taking it out of a normal football environment where people are walking up to pay what more can we do what advantages what can we do that makes it weird and quirky and and makes it something you want to watch just for the novelty of it without taking away from the football necessarily and i think there are opportunities with that whether it's whether it's things that that are well within the realms of possibility about like linking up with local businesses or or a pie delivery or you know getting delivery or similar to to rock up with with a tins before a game or something like you know let 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 's play the game out with the normal confines of the stadium and film it and make it look beautiful and it 's a marketing opportunity uh, so i I think that that side of things needs to be thought of because. It is a novelty. It is weird. It is far from ideal. But if we look at what advantages there might have and what we can do that, that makes people at least pay attention for the handful of months that this is going to be the norm, then there might be things in it that we can actually run with in future.
0: Tom, can I be in your presence when you suggest to Police Scotland and the Scottish Government to play Hearts Hibs Scottish Cup semi-final final at, uh, uh, <laughs> at the Meadows?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's, um, yeah, uh, let's let's just pick random public parks across Scotland for, uh, <laughs> based purely on the sights and sounds.
0: Yeah, let's do it. I, so there is, there's, there's, when I was writing the article, in all honesty, when Scottish football's back, I'm not really, I'm not paid attention to Bundesliga, I won't watch the English game, but when Scottish football's back, I would just want to watch the games. But there are, I can understand why fans want more and but there are things I would I'd quite see that I think probably clubs are unwilling to do. Obviously you've got the broadcaster's rights and stuff like that and there's this might be a bit of fear factor behind it, but stuff like tunnel cam or even like like referee cam or like referee cam or just micing up the ref, adding in audio, different angles, putting cameras in unusual positions so you as a fan, are getting an immersive experience that you probably wouldn't get at the, the game itself, and you are certainly, not, it's certainly better than just watching a single screen for, for 90 minutes, which will see people's attention drift, especially if they're sitting around the house.
2: Yeah, I, I think, I, I think I, um, commentary has to be looked at as well as to how you do that, because the club commentators who do it are, are used to typically... You know, broadcasting to two men and a dog most of the time. You know, is there a lot. I mean, most clubs they can only obviously are allowed to broadcast live to their overseas subscribers, which for a club like Kelly, I imagine is not a lot. Um, so it'd be interesting. You don't want to be doing these folk out of a job either, but you'd be interesting to see if they can think about bringing in. You know, people like, for example, if a players out injured, can we get them? on the comms um doing these types of things that maybe they wouldn't normally that might, it's just about keeping people drawn in. Do we, do we still want like proper commentary? Cause if you sat there, um, if you're sat in the ground, you wouldn't be getting a commentary. Mm. So, so can you almost have like a, a um, not quite like what we are doing, but you know, a bit more of a conversation rather than a, um, a thing which, which comes into, could we have the club kind of setting up like little rooms where people can mm. go? I, I think we've kind of talked on this. You can yeah. sit with five or ten other people. Maybe there's a maybe there's an ex-player in, in the room, and you know. Yeah, some... I, th-
0: I think there's a lot there to do because I, I know that injured players is certainly something Hearts have done in the past, where they've got an injured player to come in and do co Celtic have recruited Sunset and Vine, I think, uh, to basically do their to do their service, which is which is a massive kind of coup uh, for, for the club and it really raises uh, professionalism. But also... i looking uh, forward to Alex Ray on... <laughs> make- that, yeah, that would be amazing. brilliant. <laughs> it would be
2: good if they got McCoy to do it. I feel like he'd be at least a bit... Uh, They'd they, they take him all right.
0: Yeah. But it's do you, as a fan, do you want it to be slick and outright professional? I would quite like it to be. Um, I don't want, to be honest. I don't want to listen to two fans do it, but to be uh, to really shove down, shove the kind of partisanship down down your throat. I don't know if that's, that's something that fans will want. I, I, I
2: think, it, think it would be fun. I, I wouldn't like watching another team's commentary on it, though. But if you're a, if you're able to um, ha- having having watched um, several. Away streams as such, um, yes. especially especially when I lived overseas. Like, um, you get really pissed off with it sometimes. Um, I think Celtic Celtic TV are actually generally the worst for it in terms of just being very very partisan. And um, we obviously joke about Falkirk quite a lot. Um, not, not that they'll be not that they'll be playing in the Premiership anytime soon. I
1: think there's there's a. It doesn't need to be super duper polished. I think one of the things that everybody has learned from the last couple of months is that you adapt to it. And if it means that more, you know, we're now used to seeing news stories coming down from pretty terrible streams um, in people's front rooms. I think if it, it takes like, it's not a particularly high definition camera that's giving us a second angle or we've got something on the crossbar that's not exactly giving us the you know high definition laser precision uh uh, resolution i i think that's okay i think we get like you know a a couple of hundred quid for a drone to give us an additional some additional footage there like whether that all is is safe and, and feasible to do but but these sorts of ideas try them if the we might we might stumble upon someone who's a really good commentator for for you know that's never done it before we might stumble upon someone an idea that we can take forward with it I think there's I think when you look back to, to when they when something like when, when Sky for example when they first started showing, um, showing football regularly and so if you were to pitch something like Soccer Saturday which initially had just five guys in the studio with no football talking about football and the score updates coming in like nobody would have nobody would have bought that show just on the idea of it but it it must be one of the most it must get better viewing figures than most of the games so these sort of like necessity being the mother of invention with these things and it doesn't need to be super high tech it doesn't need to be doesn't need to rely on rights it doesn't need to it's the personalities that are involved in doing it that kind of make it work or, or or don't so i think that there's again just to go back and have the from this point try stuff because there'll be things that stick that,
2: that's that's as, the long big as, thing. As, the stream, as long as the stream works like that's first of all let's <laughs> <Like, laughs> make it work, sure yeah. it works yeah. because um, with most club tv channels it's uh, it's hit and miss assuming it works you're right tom like get as long as it's working people will tolerate a bit of variety
0: I think what, what clubs have here is a massive opportunity to do something a bit different. And fans are probably going to be more forgiven than they'll ever be uh, during this, this, this period. As long as, like you said, Craig, the, the stream works and it's reliable. Anything on top of that, they're just going to go, right, that's fine. I'm willing, kind of willing to give it a go.
2: Yeah, and I, I would be, like someone to go like retro, like you know, like um, the, I think it's football cliches on Twitter that does the throwbacks to like the nineteen ninety World Cup graphics.
0: Yes, and put them on.
2: <laughs> I can imagine doing that as well. That that must be fairly straightforward to do. I can, I could imagine. So that would be quite an interesting, fun, cheap, easy thing to do.
1: Yeah, the visuals and and, and how it's presented should be, all be pretty straightforward to 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 do. I think as what we'll find as well is that. As we' found in the last couple of months, when people start first start moving towards doing things in online meetings within two or three weeks, people kind of hacked it and figured out how to run quizzes better and how to make it more interactive and how to um, you know show video within a slideshow remotely like These are pretty simple examples, but people have kind of very quickly adapted to what the technology will allow them to do. And, and kind of MacGyvered it into making it, it sociable. Make sure that that's an option for people, uh, and people will run with it, and they will. If the streams work and if there's a way of, of making sure that the 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 video quality is good for games themselves, people will find ways of, of making the rest of it work. And within a couple of weeks, we'll have a bunch of ideas that nobody had thought of in the first week.
0: I wonder if we we'll get to the point where you're able to—I don't know if this will be through a Sky or if it's like a central thing that SPFL do. Maybe watch all how many ever how many games are on at the same time. So four or five, if there's like a goal show kind of thing, or you've got the four or five streams, and just like in Zoom, so there's like there's different boxes, so you can kind of keep an eye, keep abreast of all, all games. Like in Back to the is... Future, too. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know. I don't know if you want to uh, want to keep abreast of all games and make your life that much uh, more miserable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I would love that when Sky comes back that there, or when, when the TV comes back that there's some option to watch at least a couple at once, um, and however that that might work, I, I would also really like it if they make if it is if it is possible to spread the games out. As much as possible as well, so that if I want like we 're still kind of finding out what the what the options are going to be for the streaming whether that um whether you're going to get to stream away games and things like that um and and what Sky's is part of this will be so but but so that if it is possible for me to watch as many games as possible in a given week, give us that option like i would I would like if it is possible i'm not we 're not sure whether this will be to watch you know, all the games from a weekend if that's a, an option or, or certainly as many as possible. So rather than have it saying, right, we've always previously put all the games on at three o'clock or as close as, try and, try and space them out. But if that's feasible, given the, the subscription options that we're not quite sure on yet.
0: Right, let's move on to the topic of Coke teams. It emerged on Friday, I think, Think that Rangers had put forward an innovation paper which would see Celtic and Rangers B-sides inserted into a 14-14-18 structure. And on top of that, they would provide sweeteners. Oh, sorry, uh, they would pay uh, a £125,000 joining fee and then it reduces by £25,000 across four years. So there's there's loads of different just little angles off it to kind of entice clubs to get behind it. They would, they would buy at least 200 tickets for each away game pay for streaming, players would have an age limit of 21. Then on top of that, there's an opportunity for other clubs to have B-teams that start in the Lowland League and Highland League or set up strategic partnerships, which would see, I don't know, I think it was up to six players and potentially a coach go on loan. There's, uh, (laughs) There's a lot to take away from it. So what did we make of this?
2: First of all, it, it, it looked eerily familiar from what Rangers proposed about a year ago. They got nowhere, um, and so so it's like they've gone away and they've gone right. Well, well what we'll do is we'll just we'll just rehash this for twenty twenty with like a um, a twist on it for you know coronavirus related stuff. So yeah, I, I, was, it was, I, the, I was
0: reading sorry in rugby. I was reading Ian McMenny's, this the Muir chairman his column the Scotsman, and he was talking about the Rangers plans being. Uh, being more robust than the previous ones, but I'm just thinking maybe it's the same one, but it looks more robust because it's gone up against the previous ones uh, put forward by Hearts.
2: <laughs> well, that, that was because I saw someone say it's the most like detailed one, um, and I'm like, yeah, that's because they, they they already had the details a year ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah there, was, there was stuff introduced. <laughs> um, so, so if I take the side of what what do I think is a would be good about it. Um, So I'll start by saying I think it's an abomination, a terrible idea. I do think that having cold teams potentially certainly wouldn't do any harm and potentially could lead to one or two players becoming first-team players and therefore having more chance to play for Scotland than would otherwise be the case. A player who might have slipped through the net might not have slipped through the net. So if you're saying... Purely from the point, if your pure goal is to make the Scotland national team better and that's the only purpose of Scottish football and that's the only purpose of the SPFL is to make the Scotland national team as good as possible, then why not try this? But that's not why the SPFL exists, that's not why we go and watch our teams. I I want Scotland to do it, I go and pay stupid amounts of money to go and watch Scotland all the time, but my club still comes first and it's the same for everyone else and I just because my club's a bit bigger and probably wouldn't be necessarily too adversely affected by this beyond maybe wouldn't be able to scoop up so many released Rangers and Celtic youth players that they maybe do. You can't just kind of take away the fabric of what I think makes our game good on the basis that it might theoretically possibly have a slight improvement for for the Scotland team. It just just doesn't sit well with me at all.
1: I think... Again, to sort of start with the devil's advocate on what's... I think the difference this time is, lower league clubs the possibility of twenty to thirty thousand pounds up front. Well, if it's if they're saying a couple of hundred tickets guaranteed so say that it's like fifteen grand a year plus the the the, the one off payments, it's going to be worth twenty to thirty thousand pounds for every club at the moment. The big difference is for all the for for the for the lower league clubs at the moment they don't have income streams and that's huge. That's why I think it's so much more appealing. I, I saw one of the comments today saying it sounds like really they have done, I can't remember where I read it, but Rangers have really done their homework this time. And again, it's because they've been doing this homework on and off for years. There, there isn't anything, there isn't a huge amount that's new other than it's slightly more detailed. I, I, I think... There Again, I totally agree. It's an abomination. It's just, it's tiresome. It's coming back to, th- if it's if it was for the good of Scottish football, then more people in, you know, it would have more support from other clubs. And it wouldn't be that it would be coming around to Rangers pushing, and Celtic have previously, pushing this again. I also think there's a, a huge problem with it. The idea that, you know, we've we've been pursuing for years, we've been pursuing the idea of youth level of the academies, which was all about getting the best of the best to play against the best of the best. Now, if we're now saying that once you get to a level just above that, but not at professional level, you shouldn't be playing against the best of the best, I'm... I think where there actually would be an advantage is if the goal was to keep people in football who might otherwise drop out. So you might have guys who are 19 who might just get disillusioned because they're not going to make the grade at Rangers or Celtic. And they drop a level, and, and they 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 either find their level and they work their way back up over a couple of years and stay in football, or, or they drop a level and they they play part time. I think if that was the goal, then I think there's there's something pretty pretty honourable in that. But if you actually, if you if the goal is to to produce like Scotland quality internationals, what what we've seen over the last couple of years has actually been it's it's beneficial to not make the grade at Rangers or Celtic at 19 and sign for another club of a decent level and get get games at Premier League level or Championship level and work your way up. I mean, the, the, the guys that haven't made the the grade at Rangers and Celtic in, in recent years, like you know Lewis Ferguson, Jamie Brandon, Aaron Hickey, Stephen O'Donnell, Michael Devlin, Declan Gallagher, Eamon Brophy, Greg Taylor, Andy Robertson, Stuart Finlay, in Scotland squads at the moment, have all... Failed to make the grade at Rangers or Celtic, dropped a little bit, and then built themselves back up. the The idea that they would be sent out to League Two clubs or or the bottom tier, and they would suddenly find the their their level there just doesn't doesn't sit right with me. I think they may well find that they they may well find that they they, they rediscover a love of football, and I, I've seen several players. Uh, who Who have gone out on loan at least finding who who are supportive of it because they kind of re reignited their love of the game by playing twenty thirty games a season, and I can see that I just don't see that i, I think if if at one level we 're saying it 's about playing elite games as young, long, as young as you can we we can also be saying right well it 's about trying to find some sort of fudge in the middle
0: I can. As always with like self interest and stuff, I can see why Celtic, Celtic and Rangers, if the you know, fans who are fully behind us, because let's face it, they do not give a flying fuck about producing players for Scotland. They care about producing players for uh, Celtic and Rangers, and again, under, understandably so, they want to uh, get better, win trophies, make money. So. I can understand why Craig Mulholland, especially at Rangers, has been pushing it and wants to be a B team because it allows those two clubs to have more control, more decision over their young players and direction they play in. Because at the moment, they need to utilise the load market, then they lose a certain, well, a large part of that control. The, the concern is, is that they stay with Rangers and, okay, they're built up. In the mould that Rangers or Celtic want them for the first team, uh, first team, and then when these players who reach twenty one don't make it that step, which they will, because there's there's no chance. All like every year, eleven players are going to, or five, six, seven, eight, how many players are going to step up to the first team? And that when they leave, having played the same way at Rangers up until the age of twenty one, they go, and then they're almost kind of robotic when they go into different places. I go back to what Graham Matthew, uh, I talked about in an interview from recently, he says about th- they found that the best players have had I've like had a stumbling block during their development. You look at John McGinn, who was playing left-back at times for St Mirren. Uh, he's, and and other, other players who have had, for example, Andy Robertson released by Celtic, that these uh, players have had challenges. They've had to take these knocks and come back. So I think Going down to on loan to uh, to the likes um, to lower league clubs or being released and building your way up, I think that is just as beneficial as playing under like the, the same system at a club where basically it's they're going to be treated perfectly. They're not going to face too many challenges playing for a B team because they're looked after. They will get buses everywhere. They won't have that experience of going down to the lower leagues and. Facing a completely different environment.
2: The I other think- thing is with the playing in a system, it's like, well, if Celtic had a B team under Brendan Rogers, well, the players would have played the Brendan Rogers style, and then by the time they were coming to be on the first team, Neil Lennon's the manager, and it's in a completely different way. So it's, like, it's not like we don't have in Scotland clubs who always play the same style. You're not talking about Barcelona if we are for. 30 years since Johan Cruyff took over as manager pretty much. They've played football the exact same way. They've tried to kind of have that ethos in the club. The clubs maybe have their own little bits and pieces here and there, but ultimately they play differently depending on who the manager is and and that will be the case for most clubs and and will continue to be and maybe the sporting director stuff will become more apparent and all that in, in future, but that's not where we are now. And the the thing is, in Scotland, there's only ever going to be, I think, five clubs that can afford ever to run a B team, which is Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Hibs, and Aberdeen, at the moment. Because if you've got, it's with the you know the Challenge Cup, where you can you can they're midweek. Usually, the first team's not playing at the same time, and so you can draft in players and all that. There's no way that um, other clubs in Scotland can run two full teams at a weekend. So you're you're immediately creating an elite which is fine I mean if if those are the clubs that can afford to do it and it's open to everyone fair enough but then they say well other clubs can choose to buy into the Highland League and the Lowland League did they ask the Highland League or Lowland League about that I don't think so I don't think I think the the Lowland League um, didn't appear to be particularly welcoming to it their rules currently don't allow these teams to be involved so it's like they've just that that's the thing. It's like it's it, just even in the way that they presented that, there's like a disrespect, there's like a they've not they've not gone out and sought the people that they've said. They've just went, Oh yeah, of course, Jeb, we'll we'll shove the other teams in that league. Everything about it, there's just an arrogance to it. Um which yeah, I think Because Robbie,
0: like, Ro- Robbie Horn, the Body rose manager, he he's come out and said that if B teams do come in, then they should start right at the bottom of the pyramid.
2: Yeah, which is now the there's now seven tiers in the, the west of Scotland, um, so yeah, they can they can kick about with uh, Darville. Oh, no, Darville got promoted. That's a terrible example. <laughs> they can kick about with uh, Ardier and Vix and all these teams. Um, the, the other thing, I think, is that the limit on um, players up to the age of 21. That's what they say now, but my feeling would be that within a year or two, they'd say, actually, these players would benefit from a couple of senior pros. Yeah, And then before you know it, it's like, yeah, mostly they're 21, but yeah, you can have a you know, we can bring a couple of first team players in here and there. And then what happens is the league becomes a bit of a, a farce because one week, um, say, Callum McGregor's just coming back from injury and they decide he can, I mean, maybe not Callum McGregor's an extreme example, but um, someone's coming back from injury and they think, well, he can play in the B team. So Cowden Beef play against um, a much better Celtic B team than. Um, are both do the following week or, or um, whoever it might be and you've got that case of well, Celtic Celtic youth their top priority isn't even going to be that league because they're still going to hopefully be in the UEFA Champions Youth League or whatever it's called so you can imagine them resting players for a league game on a Saturday because they're playing the UEFA Youth League against Barcelona on the Tuesday night and, and all of that stuff I think kind of gets swept under the carpet just now because it's the inconvenient truth of it all but as soon as it came in, these problems would, be, would manifest themselves. But it would be much harder to reverse the decision, and that's that's my biggest concern with it. Is this kind of Trojan horsing of oh yeah, we'll give you this money and we'll do all this, and these are the rules, and it becomes very easy once they're in to kind of blur those lines a little bit more.
1: I, I can, and I, can, I mean, I, I to sort of go back a little. I, I can completely understand why Rangers and Celtic wanted to do this because even if the even if deep down they know there is, I'm not suggesting this is the case, but even if deep down they know there is no chance that they're ever going to unearth anyone, at the very least you've got almost like a mini, like like what Chelsea do with the loan market, where you've got like a, a sort of mini market going on so that if if guys are playing in the lower leagues and they're scoring a bunch of goals and they're never going to play for Rangers or Celtic, you might find someone's willing to spend some money on them or... You, you know, something happened, they're in the shop window for whatever reason, or they can be loaned out. The advantages of it are huge. But there's two, there's two big arguments to this. One of them is on the sort of, is this an achievable goal in creating greater players? In which case, I think the, the counter argument to this, especially against Rangers was, fairly recently you were in the bottom tier you had a far greater budget than everyone else and and in the when rangers were in league 2 i think there were there was 10 players who played um, sorry eight eight players from their youth team played more than 10 games that season by the time they'd gone up to the championship only one had so there was a possibility to actually give these guys experience grow a team together and do all of these things that you want from a cult, a cult team with the with the first team and bring a team through together, but th- that was, that philosophy wasn't in place at the time, and that 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 kind of to to have a cult related pun that horse is now bolted, but there's also this integrity and this word, like apologies for the word integrity, but I think if you look at or if you speak to anyone who's spoken who, who who's uh, worked in Spanish football for a while the idea of the the B teams there has just crystallised the top two. And you had ridiculous situations, especially in the 80s, when you, I mean, in 1980 in the Spanish Cup, you had Real Madrid against Real Madrid B and Real Madrid won 6-1. Is that good for the competition? Is and that in good the cup for... final, not just in the yeah, cup. Yeah, in, in the cup final, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> to, to, to that. Uh, was that good for the players involved Maybe um, I don't know enough about Spanish football to know if any of them went on to anything. But was it good for the competition? Was it good for the interest? Like, imagine you, like how dead a cup final would be if you've got who's going to get the Celtic end if it's Celtic versus Celtic. I just think, like you say, you're opening it to something less than competition.
0: Yeah, that's that's a big that's my big takeaway from all is that I I think. And certain cult teams into the league dev- devalues the competition. Again, I'm not an expert on Italian football. Um, I'm not sure if they've got a teams team in Italian. I don't think they really do. Uh, I think Juventus maybe have one. But uh, the Bundesliga or uh, La Liga, I'm not an expert on it. So I'm not sure how seriously the lower leagues are taken. But... In Scotland, England, the the lower leagues. There's there's a tradition and culture. There's an importance to them, and I've heard so much about there being too many professional clubs in the in the in the Scottish pyramid. Or there's they've got all these clubs have been criticised for calling themselves professional but are not professional. But this is they've been around for hundreds of years, and obviously there's the idea you have to progress, you have to develop, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of positive, uh, positivity, just keeping things the way they are, or trying to, because, I mean, again, you just go back to the tradition, these, these clubs are really important, uh, important to the community, and I just think, uh, it kind of just looks down upon them. It's like, okay, we're just putting a couple of reserve teams in there so that we can better, better our teams and kind of almost trample all over these. I just, I just think it's, it's just a bit of shit.
1: We're also basing all of these. We're basing the judgments of like who is a professional team on what it is like now, like mm. Morton, Dumbarton have got like for for two examples. I've got like a huge rich history. Third Lanark, who are no longer in existence, got, these, these clubs have got a rich history of being at the top end of Scottish football, of playing at the very highest level, of producing. And at the moment, and at for the last X number of decades, they they haven't been there. But you know, one of the best clubs in Scotland at the moment is Livingston, who have almost no history and have been down and back again and a couple of years ago would have been one of the clubs that would have been like oh well you know what's the point in having Livingston around they you know get have them playing with the Colts they're now like, it's not like this snapshot of what history is and who's relevant right now the there, there are possibilities, and there should always be the possibility for a well-run club that has. And this is, seems to be what, one of the positives in the last few years is that there is an opening up of Scottish football for clubs that are well-run, that are producing their own players, that are that may or may not have a tradition, but at least want one to push themselves forward to being to being better. And that's what it should always be about. And I think Colts fly in the face of that
0: that I couldn't have put it better myself and I'm conscious of time so we'll move on. And because I'm conscious of time, I'm only going to touch on Craig Lean because I just wanted to get it off my chest. I've so I've listened to the interview twice, <laughs> twice from the BBC Sports Sound and I think it's an interesting and interesting enough listen. The big thing it comes down to is that Levine says he thought he was going to be able to turn turn it around and he once again looked back to injuries and said that injuries were a, a, a huge factor, which understandably he missed on a lot of key players, but he criticised, basically says that he wasn't able to have key players like Uche, Naismith, Suter and Haring uh, during his, his time, despite three of them having been injured two or three times during his, his, his spell at Hearts Manager, and then Haring got injured and missed all, has, has missed over a year of football. Then so he signed, he signed off. He signed three of them, but I think he had a big part to play in John Suter's, um injury. And then he talked about because they weren't available that they he there were other players in the team who were kind of referred to as sheep who are good players, but they follow. And then they didn't have the character to be able to play for uh, play for Hearts again. Craig Lean signed these players. Signed these players uh, came in. He signed a lot of players to build a squad so that when players do get injured, other players come in and he still wasn't able to turn it around. He just he talked about oh, it was a, um, the St. Johnston game was a poor performance, which was his final, uh, final match in charge. It was almost as if he was said, yeah, it was like almost treated as if that was a poor performance on its own. But Hearts had been rubbish for so long. And I think... And since November 2018, they'd won eight eight league games under uh, under him. So, in, in in a year, they'd won eight league games. So, it was uh, I just had to get that off my chest. He, he, he went back to uh, talk about injuries and and such, but yeah, there was there was a the lot more. There was a lot more issues and injuries and injuries to players he signed. One of the things that
2: strikes me is so, so many. Um, so many managers like you hear them talk about or they lost their job somewhere and then they went away and reflected and they realized that they've learned X or they've learned Y. But with Lavin, you always get the feeling like he's so stubborn, he never reflects on any mistakes that he's made. He just looks for a, you know, someone to blame. And for a guy who I genuinely does seem to be quite intelligent, like mm-hmm. that and that stubbornness has maybe helped him in some respects. But for God's sake, like listen to yourself. It was the same when he was a Scotland manager. Like, go away. Think about what you've done, and if you want to continue your career, and he said he wanted to continue management, I think he's got something to offer because he, he's shown in the past he can be a good manager, at, at, even at this level. Go away. Learn from your mistakes. Think about it, and like, don't be such an asshole about it.
1: The well, just just to follow up on that, Joel. One of the things he did say was he thinks that in, in, like some of the infrastructure he's put in place will mean that the in future. Uh, you know there there will be benefits from his tenure, and ultimately, uh, Hearts fans will forgive him. Do you think that's true?
0: No, no. The, uh, there's there's a large, <laughs> say large. It's it's an interesting one. I think there's people there who just want to move on and probably don't have much bad will. Uh, Towards Levine, but then there is there's definitely a an element which even before he, he he took the manager job for the second time, just don't like him. And I think he lost a lot a lot of goodwill for for a long long time. Which I don't think that'll um, that'll be rescued by players coming through and doing well. The, the the youth players was interesting because he did he's given a lot of youth players uh, a chance debut. But then go back to the twenty the 2018-2019 season the following the the, the previous year he, we had to play Kilmarnock on the last of the season we had a really really young team so they, he did have to make changes and overhaul the squad but then he overhauled the squad and there wasn't much opportunity for these young players to continue to develop then this summer Anthony McDonald had a fantastic Betfred Cup well, a, a, certainly a very very decent Betfred Cup and despite some really positive attacking performances, Levine came out and criticised his defensive uh, his, his defensive skills and moved him on loan to Dunfermline. He gave Aaron Hickey, like Aaron Hickey is one of those where, yes, fantastic bringing Aaron Hickey in, but I think probably anyone would have brought Aaron Hickey in because you look at someone with that much talent, whereas Stendles came in and he has looked to give even more or less fashionable youngsters Youngsters are run. So there, were, there was parts of that I didn't agree or feel. The,
2: the hickey bit, is like when people uh, praise Bertie votes for giving Darren Fletcher his debut for Scotland, it's like, well done. <laughs> or and Ronnie guy, the guy Dyler for Pia yeah, what a find. <laughs>
0: yeah. Anyway, I've got that from my chest. So we'll move on to the final part and we're going to talk about the latest, we move on to the latest of our top 20 Scotland matches top countdown. 50. What did I say? Top 20. Top 20, sorry. <laughs> it needs to be number 35 in a top 20. Like. <laughs> so yeah, we've got to the top 50, we're in the top 50 Scotland. I'm going to start that again. It's the top 50 Scotland matches countdown list and we go to the 18th of June, 1982, when Elvis Presley's good luck charm was number one in the UK, the locations Se- Seville, I wrote Sevilla, fucking hell, Seville, and the Stadio Benito, Via Marine, home of Real Betis for Scotland's nineteen eighty-two World Cup group six encounter with Brazil. We lost four one.
1: I think it is important to remember that it's one of the greatest teams not to win the World Cup. Yes. But so were but so were Brazil. <laughs> uh. Like I mean, the, the, like before you get on to the to the Brazil team,
0: I, it, you are in right I, there. I was. I did. TV I did.
1: Go <laughs> <laughs> um, Just like, like looking through the squad, I, I, there was obviously there was a, a lot more expectation on seventy eight, and there was a, a expectation on eighty six. But if you look through the squad and the ages of the players and where they were, like Danny Green is only thirty two. At that point, Soonest, Douglas, and Hanson in, in the squad, um, all at Liverpool. Leighton Miller, McLeish, Strachan from Aberdeen, who were one of the best teams in Europe, won the Cup, won the, Cup the next year. Um, John Warwick, George Burley, Alan Brazil had won the 81 UEFA Cup with Ipswich. John Robertson had won the European Cup with Forest in 80. Alan Evans only won four caps ever, but had won the European Cup two months earlier with Aston Villa. Um, th- 13 of the 22 in the squad won a european trophy within with like two years either side so like, an incredibly good squad actually the player who had the worst season of any of them uh, was Joe jordan who had been relegated with ac milan um and obviously jockstein so like probably the best group of scotland players like dougleish wasn't fit they they took the foot off the gra- gas against new zealand and ultimately cost them, but probably the best bunch of scotland players as a squad that we ever put together however (laughs) facing (laughs) facing certainly the best brazil squad not to win the world cup and the last brazil squad to have the the sort of the the attacking ethos and the mythology that they'd had since the mid-50s um the, they just, a, a squad that just attacked in waves and was playing, very obviously playing, a very different game to everyone else in the world at that point. And,
2: and yeah. I think this was the, the game that announced that Brazil team kind of onto the world, kind of, world stage. So I think the, the opening group game, they'd kind of scraped past USSR. Um, I think it was 1-2-1 one, one with kind of a late winner. And, and the commentary that I watched back was kind of all kind of saying, you know, here was when Brazil showed what the people thought they were capable of after they kind of stumbling first game. But obviously Scotland, uh, from, from the footage, it was very clear that Scotland had a lot of belief in how good Brazil was because when uh, David Nery scored the opening goal, none of the Scotland players looked like they knew what was happening. It was like confusion. Like even David <laughs> Nery's celebration, it was like...
0: Yeah, what? I, I, I spotted this. I just want to put this in my notes as well. Is this... When it cuts to David Neri, first of all, it looks like he can't believe he's just been given offside. That's the kind yeah. of reaction he's <laughs> kind of looking. He's got his arms in the air, looking around as if he's uh, kind of stunned. But then he, it kind of you can almost see it uh, kind of dawn on him that like he just scored a cracking goal against Brazil to open the scoring. The,
1: there's the Gordon Strachan comment. the comment on it was, "You've you, now you've done it. You've gone and made them angry." And I think actually more than more than any other Scotland goal, there's something about like the national psyche in that there's like this. Oh, we've done. Oh, we've done something good. We're going <laughs> to have to score too <laughs> early. So, something good has happened. We, we, we're ahead, but defeat is only moments away. We're going to have <laughs> to like we've we've done something positive. We're going to have to try and
0: like bed in and make sure that no one notices. The Sticking on the goal, I hadn't realised until before coming on. I was researching this that the commentary of uh, David Neri and he's called it a toe poke. Was Jimmy uh, was Jimmy Hill that uh, that kind of christened that, and that's uh, that's what kind of started angst amongst the Tartan Army, and they are what's now a uh, um, unwelcome song about the um, the former. Um, he's 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 done a lot of things.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was um. Yeah, and and I think it was a, actually a pretty unfair description of, of a goal because it was a really nice finish from there. It was very mm-hmm. controlled. It wasn't a top um, hook. Uh, a top hook either. No, no, no. But but even if you're, you're talking about it, it's not like it was jammy. It was it was a very good goal. I mean, okay, got lucky with with the kind of ricochet because his first touch wasn't necessarily amazing, but. The, the quality of the finish is really good. Isn't it? it was his only goal for Scotland, which I thought was, um, you know, when, I imagine like your only goal you score is is that one, because um, you, you'd imagine when you score a goal like that, you'd expect oh, he must be pinging them in all the time, um, <laughs> but but wasn't to, wasn't to be.
0: I, um, I came across this uh, story of <laughs> former Prime Minister Gordon Brown meeting Socrates in Brazil, and they talked about it, and they just the, just the idea of them speaking about it uh, really amused me, and the way that the I think it was in Daily Record uh, the the story. So the, the, just the way they they described it was a, so Socrates, who captain Brazil in the game, said he feared the same. Sorry, uh, so basically Gordon Brown set up as that uh, he said that he thought it was a moment Scotland might pull off a victory. Socrates, who captain Brazil in the game, said he feared the same, saying it was a very good goal brown replied some people back home called it a topok. i just I just it just amuses me gordon brown saying to socrates about a topic yeah oh, we're is for the, the did...
1: convergence point of those two people and <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> um, anyway, the, the um the, the stuff from like that, yeah. The confusion I can't went on. Um, Alan Ruff, when we can see the third goal, we can talk about some of the other goals. But um, the third goal was a really nice chip from there yeah. and I've got a quote from Alan Ruff on that. It was a fantastic goal. Nothing I could do about it. At least he never beat me at my near post, so I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> what sort of quote is that? <laughs>
0: that yeah. I think I think we may have the exact same notes, Craig. Because I I picked I found that a good quote and it just stood out to me. It was like it kind of goes back to. Uh, kind of goes back to what Tom was saying about uh, Gordon Strachan, just a, kind of this uh, fatalistic uh, psyche that they have. Is like, oh, that was at least, at least they didn't, uh, at least they gave me front post. So just weird thing for a uh, weird thing to say. I've got it down that it's the
1: sort of goal someone like Jamie Hamill accidentally scores once a season. <laughs> right you think it's like a Brazilian does it, and it 's like the fullback storming in, and you think the danger's gone, and it like floats it in over in the, over the keeper into the back post you 're like, yeah, right, he's just try to put that in the across in, and he's just loved the keeper like no I, I do he does it all the time in training, but you do get the impression that he Edder probably probably did do it all the time in training Yeah, the,
0: with brazil the the names is you know, it's potentially the one World Cup team where it's 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 a, the names are just so evocative of that you think of uh, Brazilian players with just the one the, the one name so you've you've got like like Leandro oscar junior Falhouse hoerty Zico, Serginho, there they just they're just just so evocative
2: yeah and 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 I think um it was the midfield that the, the team was all about. And I think what, what always, um, certainly my dad used to always say about that Brazil team was that, that Sergino, the striker, was really just like a big lump and he kind of really let them down somewhat. Like, as yes. in, you know, yeah. um, there, like they, couldn't, a, they a... couldn't make him the, the Olivier Giroud, the Stefan Givar, the Stefan Wilfarth
1: of the team. <laughs> the facilitator. There's, a, there's um, an excellent quote I read about him. I think it was from the previous Brazil manager when he was subbed off and he said, now the ball is round again. <laughs> so is he seen
0: he, he that he was just a rugby player?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. They, 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 they're, they're moving the ball around again. They're not just trying to lump it up to the big man. And I and think that, to give it some context, it, like Brazil had been absolutely hammered for playing terrible football in 78 and had gone out on goal difference in the... I guess you'd call them semi-finals to Argentina, and the you know the the, the team had been absolutely ruined for for giving up their philosophy and, and playing slightly more cynical football. So they came back playing this incredibly imaginative, fluid football. That, um, and there's some amazing Hugh McIlvanny writing uh, about it, mm-hmm. calling them the most the most gifted collection of footballers ever seen in the game.
2: And and the thing was, ten ten of the team played still domestically. Um, at that point, the the, the team that started um, Falcao played for Roma, and he was the only one that that played abroad. Um, and I think Dircio, who was um one of the sub sub strikers, played in in um Spain. I think he played for Atletico Madrid. And the entire rest of the squad was um was based in Brazil. Um, which obviously at the time the Brazilian league was much stronger and could kind of keep hold of its players more than it did now because now. Usually, usually would be lucky to get a handful of players that are actually in the Brazilian league in a Brazil squad. Um, but some of those names, that this team didn't go on to win the World Cup, but Junior, the, the left-back, and Zico did go on to win a World Cup. They went on to win the Beach World Cup playing for Brazil, <laughs> um, which I thought was interesting. Um, and Junior, who was the left-back in this team, was named as one of the top 10 legends of beach soccer of all time. So um, he, he did go on to do something. Um and, and I don't know if you remember Socrates going on to play um, in two thousand and four for Garforth Town against Tadcaster Albion in the English uh, lower leagues. I thought, yeah, that was, I uh, do remember that. Um, that that was funny. And, and was well known as a, a for being a doctor, I think, like a qualified medical doctor, and also for being a, a big kind of lefty. Um, and he listed his three heroes: Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, and John Lennon. Um, so I think there's always something kind of romantic about um, a footballer who kind of has that kind of carefree spirit to him, and I think everyone that that kind of
1: commented on him always talked about that. I think that they, as much as anything, they like they looked like, they looked like they all looked like like Leonard Skinner or something. They all looked like rock stars, and the fact that they played such good football and didn't win made it all the more romantic and the fact that they played such good football and didn't win and ultimately went out to a very cynical Italian team that had, you know, there had been plenty of Italian dark arts going on and players coming back from match-fixing bans and uh, all, all, all sorts of, and, you know, being the day that the football died, uh, which I think was with, was one of Socrates' quotes, uh, sorry, it was Zico's quotes when, when Italy uh, ultimately knocked them out. But I think just to... to go back to the the game itself the 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 equalizer the free kick um zico's free kick it is so nonchalant i don't even know if you could score a goal like you could score a goal like that anymore with a modern football because you'd actually have to hit it you'd have to put more into it to make it kind of get up and down and drop like that but it's like our trigger button free kick on FIFA. It just like up and down and drops in, and you're like, right,
0: fine. Rough, uh, rough doesn't even die for it. You just kind of just looking up at the ball, thinking, well, at least it didn't beat me at the front post.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I think the second one will probably frustrate Scotland. It was just after half time, so they have got into kind of one each at half time, and then to concede from a corner. I think when you play against Brazil, and it says uh, shades of actually in uh, 98, because the opening goal, um, when we played Brazil in the opening game, and Sam Pau scored a header at mm-hmm. the front post, wasn't a million miles away from that goal. Um, if you're playing against Brazil and they've got all that talent, then the thing that you don't want to do is like give them an easy goal and, and just a kind of free header from a corner, let them and batter it in. And from that point on, yeah, I think the, the writing was on the wall. We talked about the Air one, and then Falcao scored a nice from the head to the box, which maybe Alan Ruff could have done better with, but it wasn't. Uh,
1: and I think by, by the time Falkowski goes the fourth, positionally, Scotland look all over the place. <laughs> and they look absolutely gubbed. And like, bear in mind, this is like, I would say, probably the greatest collection of players that we ever put together in a squad. To get them to like, just run that ragged and to look absolutely knackered. Um, they look they look like they've played like four or five games in a, in a couple. And obviously it was very hot in Spain and all these sorts of things at the time. There's, there's reasons for it, but just relentless Brazil attacks from the point that they scored their third. And um, yeah, I, I just don't think they were used to playing or anyone would have been used to playing players with that level of movement. And, and,
2: so, and for once, I've, sorry, I've got a comment on the referee, which is not about some sort of scandal. Uh, the referee was from Costa Rica And he, in 2017, had the 2017-18 Apertura, so the opening half of the Costa Rican League, was named in his memory, or not in his memory, because he's not dead, but was (laughs) kind of named to commemorate him because he was the first uh, Costa Rican uh, referee ever to, or first Costa Rican person ever to go to a World Cup, Um, and, and this was, I think, his first ever game um, and so I'm just imagining like, them naming the SPFL season if they don't get a sponsor and just call it the <laughs> Willie Collum SPFL or, or something like that, and, and well, you'd have to do that.
0: The, he was regarded, he was uh, said uh, the referee was considered, as uh, this was from an article, a pioneer of ethical refereeing worldwide since he was the first to reach world tournaments. So there was a very Costa Rica slant on that. So I can't remember, I can't imagine that being written about Willie Collum if that did transpire. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: Okay. And again, there's the like I said, there's some amazing Hugh uh writing about it and about you know, Scotland's reaction to it. Um, the hurt Scotland feel over the four goals dazzling, dazzlingly inflicted on them by Brazil should be no more tinged with shame than the sense of inadequacy and experience by every golfer who's been buried under a flood of birdies from Jack Nicklaus. Every fighter overwhelmed by Sugar Ray Robinson or all the Grand Prix drivers who have ever had San fangio 's exhaust fumes blowing in their faces. When you lose to the best, self-recrimination is a graceless irreverence, irrelevance even. Um, which I think seems to sum it up quite nicely. That, that's what I was
2: going to say, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, using uh, uh quote, has anyone else got um, anything to add to that or is that a nice place to leave it?
2: I think, I think uh, yeah, let's leave it with a an sure, man.
0: Indeed. Thanks, Craig. Uh, so, yes, thanks very much for tuning in to Tennis Scottish Football Podcast. We'll be back on... I think the main show will be back on Saturday. Aside from that, go on to patreon.com forward slash terrorist podcast for all the latest. There will be content going up most days, so do check that out and do subscribe if you can. And for those who are continuing to scri- subscribe, thank you very much. And thank you very much, Tom and Craig. Thank Cheers, you very much. Yeah. Goodbye.